Well, howdy y'all. Welcome to episode number 27 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. I am your host and producer, Michael Mitchell. <clears throat> for those of y'all that follow the podcast and listen to me, thank y'all for kicking your boots up for a bit. Sitting a spell with me and, you know, listening to me tell stories. I have a lot of fun doing this and uh, learn a little bit along the way too. And this week is no exception. So, uh, I got to start off. So, my, I guess, daughter number two, um, her her boyfriend's over. She just recently got a boyfriend and I've been giving him kind of a hard time, you know. He put his arm around her. They're 14, so like, you know, what's going to happen? But uh, anyway, I was joking with him and then I told him, hey man, just, you know, I pulled the whole Bill Ingball thing and said, just remember, I don't mind going back to prison. <laughs> and... That got me laughing about some stuff. Uh, you know, one time a, a guy that I went to high school with actually came out to pick up my little sister um, for a date. And we were actually cleaning shotguns <laughs> when he showed up. It was not intentional. It just happened to be, you know, dad and I had gone out and done some skeet shooting and we needed to clean our pistols. And he's like, really, guys? And we're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you all a quick little story. Uh, and then I'll, I'll kind of lead it in to, you know, what we're doing. Um, so at, at scout camp this summer, one of our leaders and, uh, and a fellow Eagle scout buddy of mine from back in the day when I was in scouts as a young man, he's standing under a tree, listening to the rules of giant pong, which they were putting on for leaders and they were, they were competing and giant pong is basically, you know, beer pong, but with large rubber balls. Um, trash cans there's no beer of course since we're at scout camp and so the top piece of this tree literally the top chunk of the tree um, that he was under fell and it hits him in the head and in the back knocks him down might have even knocked him out just real briefly Uh, if it didn't knock him out it sure rang his bell anyway the limb which of course i threw in the back of my truck and brought home for him uh, his brother's gonna do something with it i don't know Uh, it was actually about eight feet long probably six to eight inches in diameter. So, I mean, this wasn't a small chunk. I mean, I will give this guy credit where credit's due. He took a hit and then just kept right on. But anyway, we legitimately were pretty lucky he wasn't really severely hurt. Um, However, as he told the story throughout the week to other scouts and scouters, um, the limb, of course, had grown to be the entire tree, uh, roughly the size of a giant sequoia, you know, from California, 800 feet tall and, you know, 40 feet in diameter and all that. Um, And he heard it cracking and he has time to push, you know, of course, all of the women and children out of the way. And he took the full hit and weight of the tree itself, thus making him the hero of this particular summer camp we were at. (laughs) And so it's kind of like the old man and their fishing stories and, you know, all that stuff. Now, the, the the troop all laughed about it. We all had a good time, and we were kind of poking fun at this leader, and he is now officially the branch manager for our troop. So, uh, anyway, thank you to Sean Gore here of Wichita Falls, Texas. He is our Troop 2 hero. So now, why do I start off telling a story like this? I'm sure you guys are kind of wondering. Well, because this week is about tall tales here in texas and uh sean is definitely a tall tale and it's funny 
he and I start telling stories about being on staff out in Camp Perkins. And it's funny how our stories get um, bigger and better as we go. And so, uh, yeah, anyway, um, you know, we, we just get to, I guess your memory just, it's kind of like fishing stories. You know, your memory gets bigger and better as you go. So now in Texas, like with many other states, you can drive into a small town, usually early to mid-morning, and find a cafe or a coffee shop. And there you will usually find a group of men, almost always older, maybe retired. They're always enthusiastic of whatever story is being told. And uh, yeah, it's just an interesting group of people. And I was informed once uh, when I was a younger man working for the Boy Scouts out in West Texas. I was in McCamey, Texas, and I'd gotten up early and boogied out of town that I found out the meeting was moved to a little later and, and I was starving. So I pulled off at a place called Benoit's in McCamey, Texas to have breakfast. And I walked in, sat down at a table and the waitress comes over and says, Oh, hon. Sorry, I had to pause it for a second. Go get on the kids. They're in the other room. I don't know what that'll sound like, but I guess I'm going to find out. Anyway, so I stopped at this place called Ben Waz out in McCamey, Texas, and uh, I sat down at a table, and the waitress comes up and says, Oh, hon, you don't want to sit here at this this table. And I said, Why is not? Why is that? And she said, Well, this is where the Liars Club sits. I'm like, What? <laughs> what are you talking about the Liars Club? And she tells me, she says, Oh, sweetheart, it's just a bunch of old farts that come in, drink coffee, and, you know, tell lies. And then after a while, they all go home. Or go to work. So <laughs> I, I laughed pretty hard at that. And uh, and I've loved that description ever since. I, I love that it's the liar's table. And so uh, I was reading a little recently, uh, believe it or not. And I read a thing that said, um, harp too much on facts, storytellers say, and you'll kill a good tale. People like to be led down a merry road. And then, of course, many sagas do start with a whiff of truth. And I kind of figured there is some truth to that statement. And so I just kind of liked it. And I don't know, I saw that and it, it, it kind of hit me and I started thinking about some tall tales of Texas. So while researching some of the stories that we're about to do, I ran across a few websites. But the one I really liked the most was AmericanFolklore.net. And so really, I encourage everyone to go check it out. Um, they have a lot of cool folklore, and they narrow it down into different categories, states, areas, etc. Um, it's cool stuff. So a lot of these stories were written down uh, or, you know, just written out. Uh, a lot of them were written out by a guy named S.E. Slosher. And so uh, if you get on and check, well, at least the ones for Texas anyway, um, if you get on, check it out, you'll see his name. Everyone tip your hat to this guy, S.E. Slosher. Um, so let's hear some of the tall tales from Texas, or at least, you know, Texas and near Texas. So before we jump in, of course, before we jump into our tall tales of Texas, I want to mention our sponsor, which is me, an American mortgage company. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas, and I know a lot of y'all do too. So let me help them out. I am an independent mortgage loan originator working with American mortgage company. We help people finance their dream homes right here in the great state of Texas. 
We are aware that getting a mortgage is not always fun or something that you really want to do, but you know, since most folks don't have a big old bundle of cash laying around, you kind of got to get a mortgage. So why not work with somebody who makes that process, you know, as painless as possible and at least a little entertaining? You know, somebody like me. So again, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them over my way. You can find me at my website at themichaelmitchell.com. That's T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. Let me help them out. Remember when you work with me, I sell dreams and not mortgages. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast here today. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different ride. And so I think I've got eight stories. Probably should have read that. So, oh well. Yeah, I think it's eight stories. Seven or eight. Anyhow, let's talk about Pecos Bill and the Cyclone. Has anybody out there heard of Pecos Bill? Raise your hand. <laughs> I, I know out of the people that listen to this, I just had four or five of y'all. <laughs> Raise your hand. I love it. Anyway, all right. Our first legend takes us back to the days of the wild, wild west. Pecos Bill was a larger-than-life figure. He was said to have been born to a family traveling west on a covered wagon. And according to popular folklore, which we'll get into more later, he was left behind by accident and raised by wild animals, eventually becoming the ultimate cowboy. Um, I have had students in the past, I believe, that were raised by wild animals. I'm not sure. So anyway, so Pecos Bill and the Cyclone. The tale goes something like this. Now everyone in the West knows that Pecos Bill could ride anything. No Bronco could throw him. No, sir. Fact is, I only heard of Bill getting throwed once in his whole career as a cowboy. Yep. It was the time he was up Kansas way and decided to ride him a tornado. Now Bill wasn't going to ride just any tornado. No, sir. He waited for the biggest gold darn tornado you ever saw. It was turning the sky black and green, roaring so loud it woke up the farmers away over in China. Well, Bill just grabbed that there tornado, pushed it to the ground, and jumped on its back. The tornado whipped and whirled and sidewinded and general cussed its bad luck all the way down to Texas. Tied the rivers into knots, flattened all the forests so bad that they had to rename one place the Staked Plains, or the Llano Estacado as we know it. But Bill just rode along all calm-like, giving an occasional jab with his spurs. Finally, the tornado decided it wasn't getting this cowboy off its back know-how. So it headed west to California and just rained itself out. Made so much water it washed out the Grand Canyon. That tornado was down to practically nothing when Bill finally stepped off. He hit the ground so hard, it sank below sea level. Folks call that spot today Death Valley. Anyway, that's how the rodeo got started. Though most cowboys stick to Broncos these days. I love that. I love reading that. I mean, that that is how the story was written out, folks. I love that. You can just imagine some old fart telling that story. Another one I found was Davy Crockett versus the Yankees. So we, we know that Davy Crockett um, passed away in the Alamo. And so that's the link to Texas here. 
Everyone knows Davy Crockett, the fearless frontiersman who represented Texas in the U.S. Congress. But did you know about the time Crockett challenged a group of Yankees to a shooting contest? Well, according to legend, Crockett wagered that he could shoot the flame off a candle without extinguishing it. Astonishingly, he succeeded, hitting the flame with the bullet while leaving the candle standing tall. Now that's some legendary marksmanship. I love that. I know I'm missing some tall tales. I know you guys have heard some of these, but, you know, if I miss any, make sure and tell me. The next one is called Bigfoot Wallace Runs the Mail. So, Bigfoot Wallace, that wild and wacky Texas ranger, returned to the wilds of frontier life once the United States won the war with Mexico, and it suited him as nothing else could do. Soon, he was freighting mail 600 miles from San Antonio to El Paso, and it was the wildest stretch in the Wild West. Wallace was the only man who could do it. Anyone else who tried was scared off by attacking Comanche and Apache warriors or killed outright. It took a month of hard riding to make the trip, which ran right through the old Comanche Trail. Indians and army soldiers all knew him as a reckless, fearless man. Any warrior who killed or wounded Captain Wallachie was sure of a hero's welcome in his tribe. But none ever succeeded, though there were times that Wallace would ride into an army post with his mail pouch so shot up that he had to lie over for a few days just to repair it. When he wasn't wasn't running the mail, Bigfoot Wallace still worked for the Texas Rangers, taming the untamable and keeping the peace. Took him another 20 years of busting desperados and dodging Indians before he decided to retire. Wallace lived out the rest of his days in the company of his good friends, the Bramlett family. And as an old man, he lived with their daughter, Fran, and her husband, Doc Cochran, telling tales of his frontier exploits and outwitting the antics of Fran's very active boys. Bigfoot Wallace died in 1899, and his final resting place was the State Cemetery in Austin. But the stories of his exploits live on to this day and somewhere on the road to El Paso. The spirit of Bigfoot Wallace still rides. At least that's the way I heard it. All right, here's another story. Um, This one's uh, called Cowboys in Heaven, and I like this one. And and these are just stories that I found, so I'm reading them the way that they were written down because I I don't want to change them up. So after cow punching for nigh on 50 years, a Texas cowboy went on to his reward. There was considerable excitement in heaven when he reached the pearly gates. The arrival of a real Texas cowboy was considered something of an event in heaven. St. Peter himself came right over and insisted on giving the cowpoke a tour. Things were right friendly-like until the cowboy spotted half a dozen other cowpokes staked out like broncos. And he says, why are all those men staked out? You know, he asked St. Peter. St. Peter replies and looks at him and says, Oh, all those cowboys are from Texas too. Every time we let them loose, they try to go back to Texas. 
<laughs> I love that. That made me smile and laugh a little bit. All right. Here's another one that was a, a little different. <clears throat> this is a story, and I'll say just be careful who you dance with. This story that I found is called Dancing with the Devil. The girl hurried through her schoolwork as fast as she could. It was the night of the high school dance, long about 70 years ago in the town of Kingsville, Texas. The girl was so excited about the dance. She had bought a brand new sparkly red dress for the dance. She knew she looked smashing in it. It was going to be the best evening of her life. Then her mother came in the house looking pale and determined. You're not going to the dance, her mother said. But why, the girl asked her mother. I've just been talking to the preacher. And he says the dance is going to be for the devil. You are absolutely forbidden to go, her mother said. The girl nodded as if she accepted it. And, you know, but she was still determined to go. As soon as her mother was busy, she put on her brand new red dress and ran down to the KC Hall, Knights of Columbus Hall, where the dance was being held. As soon as she walked into the room, all the guys turned to look at her. She was startled by all the attention. Normally, no one noticed her. Her mother sometimes accused her of being too awkward to get a boyfriend, but she was not awkward tonight. The boys in her class were fighting with each other to get on the dance floor with her. Later, she, break, you know, she broke away from the crowd and went to the table to get some punch to drink. She heard a sudden hush fall over the crowd. The music stopped. When she turned, she saw a handsome man with jet black hair and jet black hair and clothes standing next to her. Dance with me, he said. She managed to stammer a yes, completely stunned by this gorgeous man. He led her out onto the dance floor. The music sprang up at once. She found herself dancing better than she had ever danced before. They were the center of attention for sure. Oops, I lost my place. There we go. Then the man spun her around and around. She gasped for her breath, trying to step out of the spin. But he spun her faster and faster. Her feet felt hot. The floor seemed to melt under her. He spun her even faster. She was spinning so fast that a cloud of dust flew up around them both that they were hidden from the crowd. Mm. When the dust finally settled, the girl was gone. The man in black bowed once to the crowd and disappeared. The devil had come to his party, and he had spun that girl all the way to hell. Ooh, sounds like a good tale. All you kids out there that hear that tale, you better listen to your parents. When they tell you not to go out, you better listen. Makes me think of Footloose, though. You know, Kevin Bacon, ooh, I'm just so mad, I'm gonna go dance in an empty factory using the speakers in my old VW Bug. Arrgh. That <laughs> uh, just cracks me up. Oh, I'm just so mad I could dance. So yeah, kids, listen to your parents. You never know when the dance might be a dance for the devil. All right. So, I'm sorry. That one just kind of cracked me up. All right. 
Pecos Bill and Slewfoot Sue. So, yep, we've got some more Pecos Bill because he is the subject of a lot of Texas tall tales. So here we go. And this is going to be said the way it was written. Now, Pecos Bill had a way with the women. No doubt, he had dozens of wives during this time. But his one true love was Slewfoot Sue. She was his first wife, and she could ride almost as good as Bill himself. Bill first saw Slewfoot Sue riding a catfish down the Rio Grande. She was riding standing up and holding on with only one hand, so that she could take pot shots at the clouds with her six-shooter. Was making a right pretty pattern, too. Bill just went head over heels for her, proposed on the spot, and they was married the next day. Sue was dressed in one of those white jobs with large hoops. Looked plum beautiful. Right after they was married, Sue insisted Bill prove how much he loved her by letting her ride his horse, Widowmaker. Bill couldn't talk her out of it, so Sue climbed on and that onto that great devil of a horse. Well, Widowmaker bucked like a maniac, just as you'd expect. Sue was thrown off, clear up to the clouds. Luckily, Sue was still wearing her springy hoop. When she hit the ground, she bounced up again. But we all soon realized Sue couldn't stop bouncing. She bounced so high, she kept hitting her head on the moon. She was crying and crying buckets of tears and throwing kisses to her new husband, but even he couldn't stop her bouncing. We all waited three days and four nights. Finally, even Bill realized that she was going to starve to death before she stopped bouncing, so he had to shoot her. It was a crying shame. Well, time heals all wounds, and Phil finally got married again, and then again, and again. But I'm telling you, he never felt the same about another woman as he felt for his first wife, Slewfoot Sue. God. <laughs> That's horrifying. She's just going to bounce and bounce because the hoops in her dresses, and so he just shot her. <laughs> Golly. Oh. That reminds me of the joke I was told, I guess. that it, it, It's a tall tale. Why not? I'm going to go ahead and tell it. So this this old miner, I heard it is an old miner, but I guess it could be an old cowboy. He's lonely, and so he gets one of those mail-order brides, and he rides his donkey to the train station miles away to go pick her up. And they get there, and he loads up all of her stuff and her, and they get on down the road and a little a little ways, and then the donkey blows up, bucks him off and all the stuff. And so the old cowboy goes, gets his donkey, and brings it back, loads everything back up, and he finally grabs it, and he says, Donkey, that's one. Well, another mile or so down the road, donkey does it again. He does the same thing, brings it back, and he says, Donkey, that's two. Get on down the road a little bit. Donkey does it a third time. He goes out and collects the donkey, comes back, and he says, Donkey, that's three. And then he shoots the donkey. Well, the new mail-order bride, his new his new wife, gets very upset. And she just starts a cussing and a hollering and carrying on, basically just calling him every name under the sun. And he finally turns around and says, Lady, that's one. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know if uh, Pecos Bill said that to old Slewfoot Sue. Who knows? Doesn't sound like it, though. 
Well, I mean, here we are on Pecos Bill. Let's go ahead and talk about Pecos Bill a little more. The birth of Pecos Bill. So, well, now, Pecos Bill was born in the unusual way to a real nice cowpoke and his wife who were journeying west with their 18 children. Good God, they didn't have cable back then. Bill's ma knew right from the start that he was something else. He started talking before he was a month old, did his teething on his pa's bowie knife, bowie knife, and rode his first horse just as soon as he learned to sit up on his own. When he started to crawl, Pecos Bill would slither out of the wagon while his mama was cooking supper and wrestle with the bear cubs and other wild animals that roamed the prairies. Yep, the whole family was expecting great things of little Bill until they lost him in the drink. Seems they took the wagons over the Pecos River while Pecos Bill was taking a nap and he got bounced out of the back and swept downstream before anybody missed him. If he hadn't taught himself to swim right quick, he could have been a goner. Right about the time Pecos Bill was drying out and trying to get a fix on where he was, a mama coyote came along and decided to adopt the poor waif and raise him with the rest of her pups. So Pecos Bill spent the first 15 years of his life running around with a coyote pack, howling to the moon, chasing prey across the prairies, and having the time of his life. Pecos Bill plumb forgot all about his real family until the day he turned 16 and his older brother came along. He was a punch and a herd of longhorn cattle and had brought them down to drink on the Pecos River. The old cowpoke took one look at Pecos Bill and knew he had found his long-lost brother on account of he looked just like their ma who had died of a broken heart after they lost little Bill in the river. See here? Ain't you Pecos Bill, my little brother, demanded the cowpoke of Pecos Bill when he came jumping over a giant log to run about in the field and howl at the moon. Don't think so, said Pecos Bill. I'm a coyote. Listen to me howl. Pecos Bill let out a horrendous shout and scampered all about the field on all fours. He scared the herd so bad that the longhorns almost stampeded. You stop that, Bill's brother shouted after he got the cattle calmed down. And tell me this, how come you ain't got a long bushy tail if you're a coyote? Well, that was a tricky question. Pecos Bill thought about it for a long time. Said, I got fleas and I howl at the moon. Everybody has fleas and howls at the moon. That ain't no excuse, said his big brother. Anyhow, you can walk upright like a normal person. You can talk too. That ain't what a coyote does. I guess you're right, said Pecos Bill. Of course I'm right. I'm your big brother and I ought to know, snapped the cowpoke. It's about time you stop fooling around here on the prairie and become a cowboy like the rest of us. That made good sense to Pecos Bill. So he bid farewell to the coyote pack and went out west with his brother to learn to be a cowboy. Soon as he learned the rope some, Pecos Bill began to realize that the cowboys needed some new tricks to help them cope with them stubborn longhorns. The cowboys kept getting the cows mixed up, which made the owners mad, so Pecos Bill invented the branding iron so they could put a mark on each cow telling everybody who owned it. Then he noticed that the other cowboys were having trouble making the wilder cows behave. Now, whenever Pecos Bill saw a cow misbehaving, he'd jump on its back and ride it until it had bucked and kicked itself into behaving better. But the other cowboys weren't so skilled as Bill, so he invented the lasso to help them tame the wild cows. 
Pecos Bill's brother was right proud of him. Not bad for a kid raised by coyotes, he told his baby brother. In another couple of years, you'll be the toughest cowboy in the world. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> uh, how about one more quick story? We're going to keep this one pretty dang close to 30 minutes this time. So we talked about the birth of Pecos Bill. Let's talk about the death of Pecos Bill. Now, now we did the birth. Now let's talk the death. This actually came from New Mexico, but you know, it's right next door to Texas, and apparently our buddy Pecos traveled a bit. So here's the story of his death, as it was written. Now, Pecos Bill didn't live forever. forever. Nope. Not even Bill could figure out how to do that. Here's how he died. When Bill was getting on in years, a Boston man came to New Mexico for a visit. He fancied himself a little bit of a cowboy. He got himself one of those mail-order suits, don't you know? The ones with the lizard-skin boots, a shiny brass belt buckle, a new pair of blue jeans, and a huge 10-gallon hat with not a speck of dust on it. Well, when Pecos Bill saw him trying to swagger into the bar, he just laid down on the sidewalk and laughed himself to death. <laughs> I love that. What a way to go, huh? Well, folks, what do you think? That's uh, eight mostly Texas tall tales. Did I miss any tall tales, you think? Shoot me a message, and you know if I did, I may include it in a future podcast. But you know what? You know what is not a tall tale? That's right. The rates and products I can get you through our sponsors, which is me and American Mortgage Company. If you don't want to ride a tornado across the Texas plains just to get a good rate, give me a holler. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them my way. Of course, you can find me. There's other stuff about me other than just mortgages, but you can find out a lot about me from themichaelmitchell.com, T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And remember, we sell dreams, not mortgages. I love making people laugh and smile and, of course, love helping people get into homes of their own. Do you have another quick thing? I am going to give another shout-out to my buddy, Mike Badalino. Um, he's going to come sit with me here in, uh, in the studio, which is also known as my kitchen because <laughs> that's where the computer is. Uh, Mike is running for city council here in Wichita Falls, and he's got the a real servant's heart. He's just such a neat guy, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, having him in here. I hope y'all look forward to, to having him here, too. We're just going to talk about uh, servant leadership, you know, military, what inspired him to get involved in, in politics to help our fair town out. Um, he's involved with us in Rotary, um, the American Legion. I, I think he's doing Kiwanis, too. Just all-around good guy, and I just want to talk about that and, and maybe be a little bit of a inspiration for those y'all out there on the old interwebs listening to this podcast. Maybe it'll inspire you to go get involved in Rotary or uh, American Legion if you're a vet or Kiwanis, something like that. Maybe inspire you to be city council. Who knows? So y'all keep an ear out for that. Hopefully that's going to happen in the next uh, two to three weeks. I'm going to get him over here to, like I said, the studio slash kitchen. <laughs> so... We're real high tech here at the Mitchell household, guys. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in to Once Upon a Time in Texas for episode number 27. As always, remember, the stars at night are big and bright.
deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.